For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill After, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. And welcome to Wrestling With Problems. I'm your host, King David Land. That's King David Land on just about every social media platform. So give me a like, follow, friend request, and I will most likely give you one in return. I'm going to talk what else but wrestling. I know it's been a while since I last spoke to you. It's actually not been that long since I last recorded. <laughs> Just we had some tech issues, so uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a recap of the last episode because I recorded the last episode twice and it still didn't really take. So I'm going to try to make this up to you. I'm going to do at the end of this episode and include my thoughts from last week. But before that, I'm going to go ahead and get into my thoughts for this week. Uh, we got the big WWE Fast Lane pay-per-view coming up, so I'm going to make my predictions for that. I got some other news articles, and then we'll get into the old business as well. So with that said, I will just hop right into it. Uh, Fast Lane's coming up this Sunday. That's right. We got six matchups listed so far for the Fast Lane pay-per-view. Uh, Fast Lane is one of those pay-per-views that's, to me, largely a throwaway pay-per-view. I don't know why they decide to put this in between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, other than the obvious reason of making some money off of it. But it has no significance of any kind, no real consequence, other than it is the sort of the last major pit stop on the road to WrestleMania, unless you include, you know, Raw and SmackDown. But it's the last pay-per-view before, so I guess it's supposed to have some kind of relevance. So I'll try to give it some kind of relevance. At any rate, moving on. We got some um, interesting matchups for this pay-per-view. Uh, I guess I'll start off with the bottom. They had Alexa Bliss versus Randy Orton in an intergender match. I was actually kind of surprised this is happening, but they've been building to it for quite a while. My initial thought was, why have an intergender match without having Alexa Bliss win? But then I thought about it. Obviously, this is just sort of a side plot to the whole Bray Wyatt match anyway. So really, it just kind of makes sense for Randy Orton either to beat Alexa Bliss or, you know, somehow uh, Bray Wyatt interferes and Alexa gets the victory. So those are my two options. I'm just going to go ahead and choose Randy destroys, destroys Alexa Bliss, and that brings the theme back out. So my prediction, Randy Orton wins the intergender match. Next, we got Braun Strowman versus Shane McMahon, a singles match. Uh, Shane McMahon's teasing Braun, calling him stupid, making him look stupid. Uh, I really don't know which way to go with this one. Maybe they'll go uh, ultimately with the uh, 
rematch at WrestleMania, some kind of stipulation. So this is just this is a regular singles match. So I'm going to go ahead and say Shane pulls off the victory here before Braun Strowman beats the hell out of the rematch at WrestleMania. Next, we got a singles match, Drew McIntyre versus Sheamus. Really nothing online but pride. No stipulation, which I'm kind of surprised. It's weird because they had a match on Raw that was basically no was barred. They threw uh, steel chairs at each other and whatnot. It still did not end up uh, – they ended up with a double count out, basically. So it's weird to have a regular singles match now after the fact. But considering the trajectory of their two careers recently, I'm going to go ahead and say Drew McIntyre pulls up, pulls up the victory. A singles match for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. You got the matchup for Big E, the champ versus Apollo Crews, the Nigerian prince, I guess they're going with, Nigerian, Nigerian royalty, which, by the way, interesting side note, they did actually have some uh, member of the Nigerian government actually tweet at uh, Apollo Crews about it and giving his endorsement to it, so that, I think that was a nice little touch to it. But at any rate, I think uh, for the time being, they're going to maintain the title on Big E, and they're going to have Apollo Crews keep coming after him for a while. So I think Big E pulls off the victory. Next, we got a singles match for the WWE Universal Championship. Uh, either Edge or Jey Uso will be the special guest enforcer. You got Roman Reigns, the champion, with Paul Heyman. And uh, Paul Heyman and Decide versus Daniel Bryan. Uh, I don't think Daniel Bryan will be beating Roman Reigns leading into WrestleMania, especially not like basically more or less one month out. I'm going to say a hard pass on that one, the way they built Roman Reigns recently. So I'm going to go ahead and say Roman Reigns wins no matter what. If they really wanted to have a title change, they'd probably just make Andrew J. Uso the referee, not just a quote, special guest enforcer. I don't think they want that. I think they want Roman Reigns to get to you all the belt. So, Roman Reigns pulls off the victory. Next, we got a tag team match for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. Not to be confused with the new NXT Women's Champion Tag Team Championship. This is the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. We got Nia Jax, Baser, the chance with Reginald versus Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. So, Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair are already going to be fighting at WrestleMania for the Shots of Banks' women title, I see no reason that they will win the tag team belt from Nia Jax and Shannon Baszler. They'll do something, something will happen where they, one hits the other, one hits the other one, something happens, it goes bad, they go sideways, hoping to build to their feud to the WrestleMania match. So, yep, I think that's the way it goes. Nia Jax and Shannon Baszler can win. Maybe even Reginald actually pulls something off smart here and actually interferes and has a positive impact on, <laughs> on this team winning for a change. Who knows? But I definitely think Nia Jax and Baszler are chance to retain the titles. Anyway, that concludes our discussion of WWE Fastlane. I know it's a pay-per-view. We probably should go into more depth, but let's be honest. I honestly don't care that much about it, and you probably don't either. <laughs> Because that's the way it works. It's a throwaway pay-per-view leading to the road to WrestleMania. Basically, nobody really cares that much about most of the stuff in between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. 
I know I mostly don't. <laughs> I mean, there might be some nice NXT takeover action or some, some other stuff in there in the WWE universe in between those two. But, I mean, as far as the real technical WWE pay-per-views that officially say WWE without the qualifier NXT, not interested. <laughs> mostly. Well, I take that back. Let me, let me take that back. I do like the Elimination Chamber. Elimination Chamber is generally a good pay-per-view. It's just, it's still sort of weird that it is after the Royal Rumble, though. <laughs> That's kind of a odd uh, matchup. So just let me clear that up. I do like Elimination Chamber. That's not a throwaway review. Fast Lane is a throwaway review. Anyway, let's get into some, you know, more happy news. Uh, we got Molly Holly is going into WWE Hall of Fame as part of the class of 2021. As most people are aware, uh, last year's class, even though they, they had a class, technically they didn't really get inducted yet, so there's going to be a sort of double induction. I, I don't, I'm not sure if they're going to do separate nights this year for each class, but last year's class of Batista, NWO, which is which for their purposes including Hollywood Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Sean Waltman, the Bella Twins, JBL, uh, British Bulldog, and Justin Thunderlight will all be going in as, as a class. Uh, but Molly Ali is going in as the first member of the 2021 class. Uh, WWE sent out a tweet about it. Their tweet was the first inductee in the WWE at WWE Hall of Fame class one will be my, hashtag Molly Holly. In a beautiful, emotional moment on hashtag WWE the bump at ShaneHilms.com delivered the hashtag WWE HOF announcement to the former WWE Women's Champion. Yes, it is aggravating to read the ads and the hashtags and the tweet. But I tried to, like I said, I tried to read it uh, just to get it, the quote accurate. But yes, aggravating as hell. Anyway, congratulations to Mighty Holly. Uh, she was one of the uh, better parts of the post-Money Night Wars uh, WWE. Uh, she actually was Miss Madness. And I actually, I always forget that she was Miss Madness in WCW. Because I remember the character, but the character didn't make enough of an impact that when she became Molly Holly in WWE that I knew that was the same person. It was only retrospectively that I knew that those were the same people. <laughs> uh, she was a great high flyer. Uh, she didn't necessarily look like what WWE quote divas looked like at the time, but that wasn't a bad thing. She was still, you know, attractive woman. It's just she was a little bit different than what they looked like, and uh, they didn't necessarily completely shy away from that. They sort of leaned into it a little bit. I remember, I remember, I remember there being a joke about her having junk in the trunk or something to that effect. Uh, it didn't seem mean spirited, you know. I think maybe today they they might have maybe went a little bit of a different direction with that, or maybe they just would have leaned into it harder. They just have been called out for it, you know, as part of the gimmick, but she had a lot of different interesting runs. There was, you know, Molly Holly, uh, with the, uh, with, uh, obviously with Crash Holly and Hardcore Holly when they were the feuding cousins, she had that run. It was kind of cool. Uh, she had the run with, uh, she was doing this whole superhero thing with Shane Helms. So that was another interesting run that she had. Uh, she had a nice, you know, uh, variety of sort of different stuff she did. She had the run where she ended up having her uh, head shaved uh, <laughs> at WrestleMania 20. So she's had a lot of different sort of interesting moments in her career. Uh, 
she actually did some other interesting things too, by the way. Uh, she actually, in 1991, when she's 14, she broke the Minnesota State Powerlifting record for her age group. So that was impressive. She lifted, uh, she was like, I guess she was 75 pounds at that time and she lifted 100. So that was impressive. Uh, she can in some movies as well. She's she had a nice uh, sort of interesting career. She I know she's appeared at some some of the, some of the sort of reunion shows as well, and she's actually wrestled them. She actually looked good in the ring. Unlike you know, I'm not gonna name any names, but unlike some talent that comes back and people yell, "You still got it," when they clearly do not still have it, or they're you know clearly you know, at least at least past the prime. She was she actually looked close, like both in and out of the you know, out of the ring as a person. She looked very, very similar to what she looked like when she was uh, still actively working. You could tell she's, you know, taking care of herself and, and been in good shape. She actually did, uh, you know, look good in the ring and was actually able to pull off the moves recently that she had done in her career. So I'm really excited to have her uh, in the Hall of Fame and, and, and getting her due. So congratulations uh, to Molly Holly. Really, really great to have you going into the Hall of Fame and not just going in, but actually sort of leading uh, this class as well. So uh, definitely shout out to her. I do notice there's something called a Lady of Failure. Because her character is like, I guess that was her uh, character in Memphis Championship Wrestling. I have no memories of this, but I did not get a chance to watch Memphis Championship. This was was pre-WWE Network. That explains why I have no memory of that. <laughs> By the way, you got to be very, very careful to pronounce that correctly because that could lead to a sort of different set of problems as well. So, <laughs> anyway, congratulations, Molly Holly. And I will move on to other thoughts in the world of wrestling. Uh, something I wasn't not quite aware of. I knew Darby Allen was sort of famous for making this sort of vignettes and this sort of videos, and Tony Khan gave him a large latitude. A lot more latitude than a lot of some of the younger talent would get when they were like uh, making sort of uh, promos and vignettes and other you know material as far as so get themselves and get the organization over. But I was not aware he was a former film student, and it makes a lot more sense now that having seen so much of his work. It didn't really seem like I've always been impressed by it, but I didn't realize he'd actually taking classes for it. it. Obviously, it shows that he does it, but I was not aware and I just discovered this fairly recently. So, uh, but they had some nice quotes on scoops.com about uh, some of the thought he thought, some of the thoughts and things he put into the training. Ian Carey uh, covered this back on actually March 8th. A lot of it goes into them trusting me and seeing my vision, Alan said at a post-event media scrum. I visualized a lot of this match tonight and to put it out there and not second-guess my directing, it meant a lot to me. Uh, oh, yeah, I probably should reiterate. I am talking about his cinematic match with the uh, with his, his partner Sting against Team Taz uh, back at AEW Revolution. Of course, like I said, I did mention earlier in the show that uh, I sort of have a lost episode that didn't really record properly, so I did discuss AEW Revolution in a lot more depth last week. However... That show will never make air because the volume was not good on it. So the sound quality will stay good. So I am going to do a little bit of a recapping of that episode a little bit later, although it won't be the full production of it. But uh, overall, like I said, uh, Darby Allen did a great job with that because I, I was not aware of such 
it's it's weird to have a guy like basically in his mid twenties playing such a prominent role in producing a match uh, with a guy who's like actually like <laughs> sixty years old in the match. A lot of a lot of times you think it might have been like a little bit more the other way around. Uh, but he definitely made Sting look good in that match. Uh, obviously, that's one of the benefits of cinematic matches and like sort of edit stuff. I do think part of what they did when they edited the match, they sort of speed up a lot of Sting's movements in certain parts because he looked like he was way faster than he should be at age 62. And I think they, that was part of the editing process. That was part of the benefit to doing a cinematic match where you could do things like that. I have not confirmed that elsewhere, and I haven't really done research to look it up because I don't really want to. Like I said, I, I enjoyed the match, so I don't want to nitpick it too much. It was just something I noticed when I watched it, and I don't want to necessarily tear down the, the the magic from it that much. But there was just something I thought I kind of. It kind of looked like when you see uh, Liam Neeson in Taken, <laughs> when he just like you know sort of goes lightning fast when he shouldn't be going lightning fast at his age. I think that's sort of the little uh, editing job they did on it. But anyway. Uh, he will be facing Scorpio. Uh, uh, as I said, that he already faced Scorpio Sky. Now that I think about it, aesthetically, this article was from from last week. He actually already did uh, face Scorpio Sky, so he actually did uh, beat him. So, but my apologies for that. <laughs> At least it, it did show I am paying attention now. So <laughs> there's that. Anyway. Uh, WWE uh, is moving to Peacock. I know most wrestling fans are aware of that, particularly since this show. Uh, the transition will be a little bit slower than a lot of people want, though, especially me. I will continue to watch WWE Network on my uh, WWE app until it actually officially transitions. Mainly the fact that most of what I watch on WWE uh, Network is ECW Hardcore Television. I've gradually been working my way through that over the last uh, however long since uh, WWE Network started. Um, actually, I, what I did was I, I initially watched my first sort of archive thing I went through. I went through, I watched Wrestling Classic, then I watched all the WrestleManias in order. And then since that point, I watched all the ECW pay-per-views in order. Then since that point going back, I've been watching hardcore television in order and then actually remixing the ECW pay-per-views back in. Uh, I don't think I'll be able to do that because I don't think all the ECW content will be moving across immediately. They have not exactly made 100% clear how that's going to work, but looking at what I see so far, thanks to bleedingcool.com and some other... uh, places. Basically, WWE Network in America will cease to exist as a separate entity starting April 4th. From March 18th until April 4th, you'll be able to sort of watch the programming in both places, but then the WWE Network will shut down in America, although it will continue internationally. So WWE Network will continue to exist, just not in America as a separate entity. Luckily, there's no such thing as VPNs that would allow you to get around that. Nudge, nudge. Uh, basically, uh, here's a little bit of a rundown provided from press release WWE.com and also on bleedingcool.com. Uh, Thursday, March 18th, WWE Network content becomes available on Peacock and will continue to scream on WWE Network. Sunday 21st, Fastlane will be available to scream on both Peacock and WWE Network. 
Sunday, April 4th. WWE Network Sunsets for users in the United States, making Peacock the exclusive home for WWE Network content in the U.S. If you live outside the U.S., you can continue to access and enjoy WWE Network content as you do today. Saturday, April 10th, and Sunday, April 11th, WrestleMania 37 streams exclusively on Peacock in the U.S. WWE Network, including all pay-per-views, will be available on Peacock Premium for $4.99, a $5 savings. Peacock is also offering the WWE Universe deeper savings for a limited time. Uh, details available at www.peacocktv.com. And I only read the WWW because I think most people know that, but since they did have that in the court, I figured I would go ahead and quote it. Uh, there will also be some um, WWE uh, Fastlane-related content, Dev Listener Chamber 2021, and some old, new old slash indie wrestling content. Uh, they do have the calendar available. I'm not going to read off the whole calendar of some of the other things that are going to be available. I'm sure if you really care that much about it, you will actually go into the, uh, the WWE.com or Peacock and look into, look into it yourself. But, uh, so that's slightly disappointing. Uh, but I hope, like, the day they, they, they supposedly will have most of the things up by SummerSlam. So even if it creates a little bit of a lull in my watch, maybe I'll just watch a little bit less WWE Network. I can get caught up on my Lucha Underground stuff or some of my Impact Wrestling stuff in the meantime if I'm not able to watch the ECW stuff. So I am nothing if not a man with a plan. At any rate, uh, before I get out of here, I'm going to discuss some of the things that I had uh, going on uh, on last week's uh, Lost show. Obviously, I got into AEW's Revolution pay-per-view. Uh, I'm not going to go a long rundown again because I already talked about all this stuff twice, even though you didn't get to hear it. But I mean, I'm going to do a brief rundown on some of the things that uh, I took away from that show. Uh, AEW Revolution was overall... I call it a decent pay-per-view. It was below my normal standard for what I consider AEW stuff. It was, you know, solid but not great. I probably give it a BB minus. I guess, I guess I, I should actually pick. I'll give. I'll go ahead and give it a. Uh, I'll go ahead and give it a B. Uh, the first half of the pay-per-view, while solid, was not spectacular. It was sort of up and down for me. Uh, the Young Bucks match was not as good as I expect the match with the Young Bucks and uh, MJF and Chris Jericho, although by no means terrible. It just wasn't what I expected out of all those guys. The first half as general was like a little bit low. Uh, I did like the, uh, the tag team battle. It was a little bit different due to the fact that uh, I liked the fact that you had to eliminate both partners, not just one's limited and the team's limited. I like the fact you had to eliminate both of those. That was a bit different for a tag team battle. Oil. So I like that aspect to it. And obviously the match was good. The, uh, match where they had to grab the brass ring where Scorpio Sky got his uh, shot at the TNT title was also another good match. The last three matches on the card in general sort of picked up the pay-per-view. They brought it back from where it could have been a C-plus slash B-minus card. Although, obviously, you know, the ending really was kind of stupid, though. The dud of an explosion at the end of the match. I didn't even think they needed to explode the ring after the fact. Since, they, since the match was already over, I assumed that the uh, explosion wasn't going to happen since the match was over. But then, you know, since they kept hinting at the fact that there's going to be an explosion if, if they're not out of the ring, so okay, well, maybe they'll give us something fun here. And then they pulled out the thing where A. Kingston came out and uh, covered up Johnny Moxley and sort of protect them and sort of get, you know, sort of having his back in a way that he hadn't in recent history. And then you just had the week supposing to kind of ruined it. 
they did do probably as good of a job as you could think as far as trying to cover up that error and pretending that it's not an error. Uh, you know, he brought up, you know, he had post-traumatic, uh, not post-traumatic stress, but uh, anxiety attack, and that's what caused him to pass out, even though there was basically a big nothing happened at the end. So that was a nice way to sort of put a little bit of a mandate on it and sort of, you know, address the issue that might not always get addressed. So, you know, hats off to them for, you know, for them trying to cover it up. It still doesn't change the fact that they had to cover it up. So, uh, the whole paper was large. It might have been a B-plus rating if the explosion would have been bigger, or at least they just would have just said, screw it and not did the explosion. It's going to be that sort of weak. But overall, like I said, it's probably just everything considered still fell into like sort of the B range. So I give it, a, I give it an overall B grade. Uh, on a different note, WWE's sort of put out the image that they're banning slides, thigh slaps on kicks. Um, so I thought that was kind of ridiculous. I'm not saying, okay, if, if they want to ban it, I don't have necessarily have a problem with it, but if you're going to ban thigh slaps, you also need to ban stomping when you punch because that's technically would be equally as stupid <laughs> or equally as, you know, sort of breaking kayfabe in a way if, if, that's, if that's the problem they have with it. So if you're going to do that, be consistent one way or the other. Don't just pick one thing and not pick the other. Particularly when, you know, Shawn Michaels is one of the great all-time violators of said thing, and NXT is sort of a big brand on that <laughs> anyway as far as putting on great matches, but that's neither here nor there. I did also want to point out uh, from last week's last show that one of the major problems I'm having with AEW Dynamite, even though AEW Dynamite is overall my favorite show from top to bottom as far as the weekly shows that are held, they need some work with some of their uh, – directing as far as the cameras go. Uh there was a there was a uh there was a spot where I believe it was uh Jade Cargill. I can't remember if it was Jade Cargill doing it on uh Red Velvet or Red Velvet doing it on Jade Cargill, but it was a spot where there was a spear done and they edited it where the cameras switched the exact wrong moment so you didn't really get to see the uh impact of the spear. And that really bothered me. Uh, there was a separate spot where, uh, oh yeah, it was the beginning of that, uh, FTR six man match with, the, uh, Tully Blanchard. But they kept going on and on about these great old school territory titles that, uh, they brought to the ring. And at no point could I actually see the titles that they brought to the ring. So that's a problem with the directing, with the director of the, uh, the show, not, going to the right cameras or, you know, not, you know, informing the announcers because you figure the announcers will be seeing the same picture we see. That's why they have monitors. So they can't, so they wouldn't be describing things that the fan watching at home can't see, but that's exactly what they were doing. So that was really aggravating to me talking about how great these belts are, all these classic, these classic belts from, you know, Mid-South or Mid-Atlantic or whatever territories they were talking about. And I couldn't actually see the belt. So that pissed me off. So uh, AEW's directors, get your get your crap together and don't let that happen. That looks unprofessional, especially if the way the announcers went on and on about it. So get it together. Don't do that. On a slightly different note, uh, a recent WWE policy may have resulted in Big Show and Christian leaving. 
Apparently, WWE did become aware that they had way too much of their talent, particularly in the Royal Rumble, talent that was 40, older, or at least close to it. So they sort of headed out a mandate to make sure we had, we're hiring younger guys, particularly for the uh, developmental deals, hire younger guys and women. They did, you know, sign a couple people in their late 30s. They did sign Ty Valkyrie to a contract, and they did sign L.A. Knight, formerly known as Eli Drake. But most of the talents that they're signing recently has been talent that's been in, like, the, uh, you know, 20s to at least early 30s. So, uh... If they're signing that talent, then they say, okay, well, we don't really need the big show guys. You know, basically guy has been around for 24 years. So he's in the neighborhood of 50. Christian's like 47, I believe. So it made sense that, okay, if we're going to be signing all younger talent, we need to push the younger talent. It doesn't make sense to have this many guys that are older. Don't get me wrong. There will always be a place for a certain amount of older veteran talent that can set an example you know, sort of, you know, lead the locker room, but there's a limit to how much of that talent you can have at a given time. It says they already have Edge, they already have, you know, uh, basically almost 50 in his own right. There's only so many, plus they have a lot of producers like, you know, Shawn Michaels, they have Road Dog. you know, they have a lot of that talent. It doesn't, there's only so many veterans that you sort of can have around in sort of mentor role. So, I think that's what ended up, you know, largely leading to the fact that Big Show and Christian ended up leaving and going to AEW. Uh, New Japan said both hello and goodbye to Marty Skull. Uh, he was part of the speaking out uh, accusations. A lot of the talent for New Japan was not happy they was going to be there. They were not told ahead of time he was going to be there. They were not happy with it. So they were like, yeah, we're going to – they recorded some segments, I believe, with him and Rocky Romero. And later on, they said, no, nah, we're not going to air this. This seems like a bad idea. So I guess they considered it correcting a mistake they made, and they decided not to go with Marty Scroll going forward. So he's back to free agency, I suppose. So we'll see if he ends up landing somewhere else. And like I said, it is, like I said, like I, said I, I, I can't say for sure if what he's been accused of is actually accurate. But as a general rule, uh, I tend to believe these stories more times than not, particularly when they come from multiple accusers. Again, I haven't dealt into the exact details of Marty Skull, so I can't tell you how many accusers he had and all that other stuff. Because it was so much of a large wave that I couldn't go into the details of every each and every particular wrestler. But I always take these accusations seriously. That doesn't necessarily mean I automatically believe every time somebody is accused. But I do take the accusation seriously. You know, I, I'm willing to give the accuser their time to say what happened. I'm willing to give the accused the time to defend themselves. But more times than not, I will believe the accuser than the accused based on the number of accusations largely and sort of the patterns of behaviors and things like that. So just to clarify, like I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not by any means trying to say that Marty Skull is automatically guilty, but I'm saying I'm more likely than not to believe accusers than uh, just based off past history and knowing enough about these situations where it's way more likely that it, that a person who did something of this nature was not publicly accused or not prosecuted or not sued than it is that they were innocently being accused of something that they didn't do. That's just statistically true. Anyway, I will move on from this topic because we've talked enough about this over the recent time frames. Uh, I guess I'll end on the story uh, about uh, Maki Ito. She's like the uh, 
redhead uh, Japanese Joshi talent that has appeared in AEW. She was actually in the women's women tournament. Uh, she's actually did sign some deals with uh, AEW, so I'm glad to see her around. She's actually a fun character with her sort of, you know, it's weird. She's a tiny woman with a supposedly giant hard head. It's nice to see, you know, some some other other non someone and black people having the hard head gimmick for changes. You know, for years we had that bad stereotype. Uh, I say in the seventies and eighties, particularly. Only reason I'm allowing it for her, since because it's not it's not really a Japanese stereotype, so I'm not that concerned about we're gonna have the stereotype of Japanese women have hard heads or something. So I'm not that concerned about it. So if it becomes a thing, then I'll you know, address my opinion on it. But it was hilarious when she was just like they were having a fight in the brawl. She just said, "I'm gonna sing on the ramp the whole time." I thought that was ridiculous. It was one of those things where it started out a little bit irritating. But once you commit to something like that, it's like a as a comedian, there's a rule. If it's funny one time, it's funny three times, and it's not funny again until seven D times. So it started out a little bit funny, then it got a little bit irritating. Then it was like a little bit funny again. And then she just dragged it out so long, it was just hilarious by the time she kept going. It was, it was, it was like a family guy bit, basically. So uh overall starting to be a big fan of her. I wish I had paid a little bit more attention to her a little bit earlier. Oh I I said that was the last thing because that was from uh, last week's show. So that was the last thing from last week's show. But I did have one more thing I wanted to discuss before I get out of here because uh, I almost almost forgot. And this was a thing from this week. Uh, XFL is sort of putting its plans because it was supposed to relaunch in 2022 under the ownership of The Rock and some of its investors. But they sort of put those uh, plans on hold. Not that the league's on hold per se. Sorry. Not that the league's on hold, but they're actually in some talks to align with the CFL. So uh, a few days ago, both leagues reached the statements on their plans today. The XFL announced it was pushing plans for the 2022 season on hold while these discussions take place. Both leagues uh, released uh, some information. It was actually reported by Ian Carey of SC Scoops. And here are the uh, statements that have been released. XFL owner Danny Garcia, Rock's ex-wife, if you weren't aware, is the following statement. Since we first acquired the XFL, we have focused on identifying partners who share our vision and values on and off the field. A vision filled with opportunity, innovation, and a highest level of entertainment value for the benefit of our athletes, fans, and communities. CFL has expressed similar sentiment and jointly recognize a great opportunity to build exciting, innovative football experience to make the most of each unique strengths. I look forward to our continued discussions, and we will update the sports community as we have more to share. Uh, the CFL released a statement regarding talks between the society. They know that we ended up having this conversation with the ownership group of the XFL, said CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi. So in all that, we ended up reaching a point where we think there was a common vision, a lot of common DNA. What we really wanted to do today was not have those discussions in the shadows. We wanted to have a more transparent conversation. Uh, as for what a possible partnership between the two leagues could be, only speculation could be made. What is being discussed significantly, though, however, is the XFL is postponing plans for its 2022 season. I do want to, uh, if you if you want to, you, if you want a few more uh, details on these, you can go ahead and check out XFL2022 on Twitter so to get the best official XFL account. But my suggestion is what they do is they both play both leagues separately, you know, under their own rules. Because XFL and CFL do have pretty significantly different rules. But they both crown their own champions, 
And then after both seasons are over, they play a sort of a title game, almost like the Super Bowl version when it was, when it was AFL versus NFL. But you play a two-game championship series. Columbia's score wins the two-game series. You play one game completely under XFL rules, one game completely under CFL rules. And the combined score tells you who wins. You play under your own rules in your home stadium for each league's champion. That's how I would pull that off. So uh, let me know what you think about that. You can tweet at BLC Nation or tweet at King David Lane. Uh, you can also like King David Lane on just about every social media platform. You can be like, I'm for request, I'm probably going to return. Also, you can like King David Comedy. That's coming with the Kim, most major social media platforms. So uh, that covers our discussions for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. You've been listening to VOC Nations, Wrestling with Problems. I'm King David Lane. Thanks for joining me. And I'll be back next week. Hey, this is a Total Package, Lex Luger, and you're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there, too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Resnick. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have cried? Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Taylor, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Rock and Roll Union and North Step Productions in conjunction with Boo Ray Atlantic City proudly present Jersey Shore Jam 2, May 15th. Featuring As We Become Goats and Rat Rod. It's been a long, cold winter and now it's time to rock. Also appearing, the Rock and Roll Union house band Shades of Grey playing all of your favorites from the 60s to now. All COVID regulations will be in place. 
Tickets are available at eventbrite.com and are extremely limited, so get them before they run out. Doors open at 6 and showtime is at 7. Rat Rod, As We Become Ghosts, and Shades of Grey. Jersey Shore Jam 2, May 15th at Blu-ray, 201 South New York Avenue, Atlantic City. Did I mention there's free parking? Don't miss it. Yo, this is Jerry Sags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.